BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. This is the Wicked South Podcast, exploring the dark history of the Murdoch legal dynasty and fascinating criminal cases on both sides of the law. May 1933, Hampton County. The would-be killer awoke before dawn, but he was not alone. The hunger gnawing inside him was a constant companion, as were the strange but powerful voices in his skull, urging him to madness and murder. He stepped into the yard in the still early morning hours and found the axe. Kill them, kill them all, the voices snarled between his ears. His wife woke to the sound of the axe striking. She rushed into their child's room and clutched her four-year-old daughter tightly. The axe had only delivered a glancing blow. The child clung to life. What in the name of God is the matter, she screamed at her husband. But God had nothing to do with this. The devil is never dead, the man mad replied, and swung the axe again. Madness and murder are mankind's constant companions. Mental illness was a problem for our ancestors just as it is today, and for most of South Carolina's history, the South Carolina State Hospital was the hub of treatment. Mentally ill people from each one of the Palmetto State's 46 counties were all sent to one massive asylum located along Bull Street in Columbia. Many who were sent there were healed. Many others died horrible deaths and many had no business being there at all. In this episode of the Wicked South podcast, we're going to step into madness and take a historic walk down South Carolina's infamous Bull Street. Hello, friend. The voice you heard there, of course, is of legendary storyteller, author, journalist, Michael DeWitt Jr. Seton Tucker sitting across from me. I am Matt Harris. And again, welcome to the Wicked South podcast, which is where you can find us on Facebook. I'm very excited about this episode. I've been wanting to talk about Bull Street for a long time. And if you're not from South Carolina, just saying Bull Street, people know what that means. It means you're getting sent to the insane asylum. It was kind of almost like a, I don't know, Michael, what would you call it? A joke? Almost? If you were acting a little bit nutty? Yeah, it was kind of became, you know, that address kind of developed a negative connotation of its own and became part of our South Carolina, you know, slang, colloquialism. And the place was far from perfect. (laughs) In fact, it was cruel at many points in its history, as were many asylums across the land. This was uh, inspired by the Quaker asylums, 
There were five built in the U.S. before Bull Street, but this was a massive undertaking. The architecture is still something that is a, a landmark, and people are awed by how it was built and the way it was built. Unfortunately, parts were run down pretty pretty nastily at times. Yeah, and I think there was a fire mess recently in 2018, but I watched this PBS special on it and I, it it really came from a good place. You know, they wanted to have it light and airy and thinking that people could be rehabilitated. Now, of course that changed over time, but even the architecture, did you notice that the windows are these big windows and they were bars to keep them in, but they look like wood slats so that the prisoners or Patients did not feel yeah. like they were enclosed. But there were times where they felt that some were prisoners in a sense. Yes. Unfortunately, that's mental illness was a different ball game back in the uh, 18, late 1828 or so, I think it opened. Um, and one of the th- things they, they talked about on the PBS special was one of the guys who was involved with getting it all started saw someone tied to a pole. He was a legislator from Spartanburg. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, good call. And uh, this person was tied to a pole because she was, they were saying insane or mad or whatever term they used back then. And he's like, we can't have this, just tying up people because they're acting out because of mental illness. So that began the process. And it was interesting, too. The legislator set aside a certain dollar amount for to build yeah. the facility. I think it was like $30,000. And then the architect who was designing this was fired after he had spent $90,000, which was a lot of money at that time. <laughs> Typical overrun of government spending, right? But uh, Michael, it had many names, right, throughout its uh, existence. It did. And I watched the same documentary and, and read a few articles. And I guess the best way to describe this place is it has a complicated history. It's uh, not all negative. Um, it was indeed built, you know, from the architecture to the basic concept of mental health it was built with the best of intentions but you know it was executed sometimes with the worst of 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 management and even the names of the place kind of symbolize the 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 changes in the way doctors and and uh physicians approached mental health it took its first patient in 1828 and it was called the south carolina lunatic asylum then it was later uh, became known as south carolina state hospital for the insane and then finally, the South Carolina State Hospital. So as you see, these the names of the facility become more politically correct with today's standards. It gives you an idea of how they approached mental health back in those days, you know, where people were dumb or dubbed lunatics, you know, or mm-hmm. insane. So that kind of gives you an idea just right there in the, in the name of the building. Yeah, the, the, the when you, as you listen to this episode, be aware that some of the terms that we are using are terms that were used way back when, and they're certainly not right to be used now, but it is how we have to describe some of the things as they they occurred uh, back then. It was a pretty big campus, I think 180 acres uh, and multiple buildings. They talk about patients cramped together in cots, close quarters, little space, privacy, and then there was uh, TB and other diseases. What, what do you think the peak was? How many patients uh, were there at one point? Well, you think about every county in South Carolina sent its people that were dubbed mentally ill or insane. They were sent to this one facility, and even though it's 180 acres, multiple buildings. 
that's 46 counties and then there there are troubled patients this place and one article said over 4,000 patients at a time another article said over 5,000 patients at a time all the research I read had a common theme they were always short staff mm-hmm. and the patients were just kind of stacked in there in cots like in in great big rooms just one cot after another that was in the fifties. Um, it was uh, up to five thousand people, I believe. It was one of the the peaks of time, and of course, there was segregation, and of course, blacks were not treated well in the place, especially before uh, they they segregated the buildings. But there was barbaric treatment. They said some of the black people who managed to get into the asylum, for lack of a better term, were than slaves in within the asylum. So they thought they were being on the outside. People were like, Oh, they're being so kind. They're taking, you know, but then they were not treated well once they entered bull street. I think the first black patient was not admitted until 1848. So there was yeah. a period of 20 years where it was kind of seen as this place for people of money to go mm-hmm. to and people who were indigent, weren't able to go there. Yeah, it's supposed to be the, the rich people were, were, as a last resort, would take their family members there. And it was 18, which is 1848, I think, when blacks were allowed. But then one of the things that the doctors and physicians and staff did there was they just came up with some weird diseases that they said just the black people would get. And one of them was the cure was to whip them. And that? that was horrible. That's horrible. And, and of course, a lot of these guys and gals weren't mentally ill. They probably had major PTSD from being raped and stolen from wherever they you know, came from and treated like crap and beaten. And that might give you a little bit of issues or even they could say issues if, if say, uh, a, a slave was being resistant. You'd say, oh, crazy, center of Bull Street. Well, you know, in that time period, especially you mentioned, you know, a lot of black patients were not admitted until uh, 1848. And those times, you know, if you were acting crazy or or in some kind of way uh, different or, or unsocial, uh, you know, you were sent to jail. Uh, you know, jail uh, was the um, most common place people of that era went before they were even considered for, for mental treatment. And there were people that were sent there for other diseases, other problems that were not true mental illnesses. In the course of researching uh, a book I recently uh, authored, Wicked Hampton County, I came upon a lot of uh, newspaper articles in the Hampton County Guardian archives about a disease called pellagra. I'll I'll tell you what the disease is after I tell you how people were treated. Okay. This disease called pellagra, it had four amazing and horrible symptoms called the four D's, dermatitis, diarrhea, and dementia that leads to death. Jeez. So it's a pretty horrible disease. And, you know, so people are acting uh, out of their, their minds with dementia. And the articles I ran across said in uh, 1914, for example, there were 900 people from around the state that suffered from this disease. They were all sent to the South Carolina Lunatic Asylum, which is what it was called back then, and it even gave some county-by-county county numbers. I mean, like in, in counties like Spartanburg uh, or Richland County, there might have been 80 people in uh, that year that were sent. In small counties like Hampton, there might have been seven or eight people. In 1913 alone, there were 165 South Carolina 
uh, residents that died from pellagra, and most of them were locked away at Bull Street. Mm. And a doctor who was a superintendent at Bull Street from 1891 to 1914, his name is Dr. James Woods Babcock. And one of the main buildings there is named after him, the Babcock Building. He was one of the first doctors. He wasn't the first to diagnose this disease, but he was the first to realize that it was a nutritional disease. And with the proper diet, these people could be easily cured. This disease was basically, uh, you know, it's very similar to, you know, the old joke, pirates get scurvy. Well, it was caused from a lack of niacin, a lack of uh, vitamin B3. People in poor rural communities, poor farmers, they they ate corn that wasn't, uh, you know, a heavy corn-based diet. You, you might get uh, cornmeal and molasses and maybe a little bit of meat every now and then. Or, and Not back. Depending on how your corn was prepared and uh, and, and cooked, you, you, you didn't get any uh, vitamin B3. And over time, it was... Uh, causing physical and mental problems. And it's amazing that the hundreds of people that were sent to Bull Street for a nutritional diet that today, nowadays, when you buy a package of cornmeal, it's fortified with vitamins like niacin, for example, to be healthier. But back then, they didn't know any of this and people were dying from it. What I found interesting was it was because of a process that was developed in the corn that took out the vitamins to make mm-hmm. it more be able to be preserved in a better way. And so previously, corn was not as much of a high starch. Right. So yeah, they changed they the changed formula. It. And so they changed the formula. And then in 1940, what Michael was referring to is South Carolina was actually the first state to oh, really? require cornmeal to be fortified with these vitamins to prevent wow. this. Because of the unusual behavior that happened because of this nutritional disease, they're tossing people in into Bull Street, but you also have a story uh, about a local guy in 1933. Tell us about that. Yeah, if we go back to the intro, the introduction of this episode, that story was a real story. Uh, May of 1933, this man attempted to murder his family with an axe, and luckily, his daughter, his four-year-old daughter, was only uh, injured. Um, the police were able to uh, to get to the man. But he had been suffering. They were, they were just poor farmers, uh, poor people. He had been suffering from pellagra and diabetes. And luckily, the police came and took him into custody. And that story did not have a, a tragic ending. But that is a true story that happened in Hampton County. And while we're on the subject of violence, uh, you know, there was a, uh, once these people, whether they were truly mentally ill or, or not, violence later became a common theme in the mental asylum in Bull Street. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. 
New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. There was an article in the Greer Citizen. They talked to Ruth Westbury, who was a nurse for 21 years there, she says she saw uh, a female doctor commit suicide, or she didn't see it, but she heard about a female doctor committing suicide in the Cooper building after sewing a patient's lips together. The quote is, one of the patients, a young man, had cut himself, and they had taken him over to the emergency room inside the burn building to get stitches. He was cursing the doctor, and I don't know what else, and she put some sutures in his lips. Ugh. Of course, that incident got reported, and they found her body the next day. So this woman was aware of this when she was, and she's, she was there for 21 years. This was not something that happened in the late 1800s, early 1900s. I mean, those treatments themselves were kind of weird, but I think that they were making people bleed. Oh yeah. They would make them calm or pouring cold water. Cause everything was just a, an efforts to seem to make people calm, calm but right. this is different. Yeah. 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 That was just a, a nurse or doctor over to the suturing lost their mind uh, to, to do that to someone. But yeah, the barbaric treatments, you mentioned the hydrotherapy, which that's the, 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 the super cold stuff, right? And that, that can cause drowning. Electric shock therapy, lobotomy. In fact, that nurse that I uh, just mentioned, Ruth Westbury, she mentions that she met an older patient who was, she thinks, the last one to receive lobotomy at the state hospital. You know what else she's, who she saw there? Who? Pee Wee Gaskins. Oh, well, yeah, we've talked about that in, in some previous episodes. A lot of the patients were sent there to be evaluated to see if they were mentally fit enough to stand trial. Pee Wee Gaskins is the famous South Carolina serial killer, and he, he spent some time there, and she saw him there. And other people went there that we've mentioned in episodes, right, Michael? Yeah, you know, you, you can't lose sight of the fact that you have 46 counties and one a major mental asylum. So in a recent episode, we came across two cases where patients from Hampton County were sent to uh, Bull Street. We had the young man, the teenager. I think it's our family annihilator episode. We had a teenager who killed both of his parents. He was sent there for evaluation before he was sent to trial. We had the Bowers uh, man from Estill back in 1948 murdered his entire family. And he was sent to Bull Street for evaluation and, and deemed First, he was deemed insane, and later he was deemed sane, and he was sent back for trial. And So imagine Hampton County, just one little small corner of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Every county in the state has their, you know, mentally ill patients or their violent, you know, criminals. So everybody is dumping all their, their for lack of a better word back in those days, all of their lunatics, or their insane people uh, into one facility. And it, I imagine it was quite... Uh, that documentary mentioned Bedlam, which is a yeah. name for a mental uh, asylum in, in England. 
uh, I imagine this was just a constant bedlam in Colombia. Well, and it, it wasn't necessarily just insane people. Sometimes they were, were people who were inconvenient to their families for one reason or another who Alcoholics, were sent there. Alcoholics, addicts. That's right. Yeah. That's right. People who had other type of conditions. I know you mentioned like syphilis can also have mental conditions. So some people were sent there for that. And by the 1900s, it took more than 1,000 new patients each year, and 30% of those patients died. Well, the place was a mess, too. Uh, if you were to go to 1910, I believe it was, when there was a big state you know, for the politicians, they got they, we got to find out what's going on in there. We hear all these kind of crazy rumors, and it's bad. And they go in there, uh, and it was, they say, deplorable. This institution, there was feces. It was filthy. There was feces on the, on the walls. walls. There was mud on the walls. It was uh, they were understaffed, and a lot of the times when the hospital was in such a bad state was also during times that our state was in a bad position economically, whether it was the Great Depression or post Civil War. They weren't paying people much to work. They it, it was just absolutely horrible. The description of how filthy it was in 1910, and I'm sure it was before that, uh, but. The state stepped in and attempted to clean it all up. Well, we have to remember that this one mental asylum is not unique. It's it's going on like this everywhere across America. It's a time period when people don't understand mental health. They, um, You mentioned if somebody was inconvenient or if they couldn't fit into society or they just didn't know what to do with them. They put them there and then it was, you know, these 30 percent of deaths, some uh, some of it was from treatment. Some of it was from patients hurting each other. But we saw the same thing in, in jails and prisons across South Carolina, just in Hampton County alone. Hampton County in about 1918, 1919 was dubbed one of the worst jails in the entire state. You know, patients were locked into metal cages and uh, segregated. White prisoners were fed three times a day. Black prisoners were fed only twice a day. A prisoner froze to death in his cell. So you see this in mental institutions. You see this in, in county jails, state prisons. And then when you have a centralized thing like this, and I imagine the South Carolina State Penitentiary was very similar, where an entire economically challenged state is dumping their troubled people into one facility. It's, it's a recipe for mismanagement and a recipe for for inhumanity. Yeah, it is it's very inhumane. It's, it's sad. So what has become of Bull Street now? We just drove by it the other day on the way to uh, the press conference with Harpootlina Griffin, but we're like, oh, there it is. And it, it's a it's a creepy looking place. I mean, when we drove by the other day, it's still kind of barricaded. Like I mentioned earlier in the episode, there was a fire in 2018 and I think the main building and they still haven't really fixed that yet. When did it close, Michael? Uh, I saw one report that said 1991 is when the Babcock building closed. And I think the other buildings were pretty well phased out throughout the early 1900s, 1990s. And uh, what do we know about the Bull Street campus now? Well, you have to take a look at the, uh, the place from a, a business standpoint. It's got some very unique buildings and architecture. And it was in the largest uh, underdeveloped area of Columbia. And I read one uh, story that says it was probably the largest underdeveloped area in any major city in America. So it's got a lot of potential. And in uh, January 2020, a Virginia development firm purchased uh, that property, 180 acres, and 
some of the uh, the buildings are still being used by the state of South Carolina, um, but most of it's being developed. Uh, Seton, uh, I think you uh, you said you wouldn't want to live there, but maybe you can tell us about all the different um, <laughs> uh, shopping and stuff going on there. Yeah, it's going to be a mixed-use community with shopping. On my way to visit my son, we ate at a brewery that was is actually right next door. I don't know if it's actually considered the Bowl Street campus or not. It, it is so close to downtown that it's kind of a great location if for people who live downtown and mixed use where you can have restaurants and shopping and all of that. Those sort of things are appealing to people. But, you know, if you believe in ghosts, you might not want to live there. Well, proceeds from the sale of the Bull Street property back in, I think, January 2021 were assigned that they have to be used to benefit patients of the agency, of the state agency. And uh, in August 2020, the South Carolina Mental Health Commission authorized the expenditure of $10 million of the proceeds uh, for the development of additional community housing for patients. So uh, they were trying to put money to the right cause or the cause that Bull Street was originally supposed to be uh, helping. I kept looking up the haunted thing too, but all I could find was that people saying it was haunted, but I didn't hear any specific stories or we, see. Well, maybe we'll, we'll hear more that people are living there. We might hear more or there's going to, I guess, be a baseball you know, minor league baseball team there, so maybe oh, really? they can, the ghosts can hang out in the really? upper stands and catch the fly balls. I don't know. <laughs> Did they ever um, turn it into a haunted house? Like, you know, for like a Halloween thing? No, I don't think so. That Not would be that I'm great. <laughs> That'd be awesome, right? They do a couple prisons around the country. There's one in Pennsylvania. They do the Philly. They do that one prison. I don't think it's safe Old right prison. now. It's barricaded. I think that fire, they still haven't made it to a place that is safe right now. I did drive around maybe a year ago and it, it is, it's a little eerie. Michael, would you uh, sleep overnight in inside that house? I might sleep overnight, but I don't know if I'd make it a permanent residence. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. That's I'm going with that too. The way I behave back in 1905, I would be in there. <laughs> There's no question. You're not spending a night in there. Are you? No, I would spend a night in there. I would not want to, I would not want to make that my permanent residence. (laughs) Because some of the other things is that's where they kept during the civil war. That was, they used the facility because there were big walls around it to keep uh, union prisoners, union prisoners of war. And originally they were like sleeping in holes that they dug in the ground. Yeah. And then they let them set up some tents. But I mean, it was a completely inhumane mess of a place for a long time. Well, I imagine, you know, it sounds like even the ground, if, if prisoners of war are buried or are, are, uh, caged in holes in the, in the ground, even the ground is uh, a little haunted there. So I imagine considering how many troubled, tortured souls have come through those, those walls, how many people have died uh, within those walls. If you had any kind of imagination at all, you could probably lay there at night and, mm-hmm. and hear screams and cries of patients going back decades, a hundred years. Wow. Like I said, maybe one night, but uh, I wouldn't want to get my mail there and move in permanently. <laughs> Next week, we'll be doing it uh, again, the old Wicked South podcast. And we'd love it because we're just getting this thing rolling. So sponsorships are not there yet. But if you want to contact Michael DeWitt, you can do that from his various socials. But also, uh, if you scroll down, there's a donation button, which would be much appreciated. Just hit that little thing and send us uh, whatever you feel we're worth. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm afraid, to, afraid that's a lot of zeros. Oh, How much no. Michael's worth? Just ignore the Matt part. And of course, Impact of Influence, still going strong. Make sure you check out that pod as well. Uh, any final little notes, uh, Michael or Seton? Yes, you can reach us on Facebook, which is The Wicked South Podcast. We love hearing from you. And uh, Michael, great job as always. Well, and guys, uh, be sure to tune in uh, real soon. I'm trying to get us uh, some great moonshine stories. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe talk to some people who have connections to previous uh, bootlegging generations. And yeah. I've got a, an amazing family story I want to share. Now, all I'm going to say is it involves a possum, a dead mule, and a bootlegger. Oh, and, man. Uh, you know, no good uh, Southern fiction or nonfiction is complete with that. At least one dead mule in the story. So you have something <laughs> to look forward to. Oh, when you're coming up, aren't you going to be featured in the Netflix documentary that's coming out next week? I've been told that uh, I've got uh, a reoccurring part uh, in the second season um, that they're wow. going to use some footage. Uh, from my previous interviews in in the second season, but I I don't know and uh, and I've been I've been on enough TV programs. Uh, I'm happy to give somebody else a chance to talk. Do we know what that one's called? The Murdoch Murders: A Southern Scandal. Okay, uh, same title, just season two with three more episodes. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So that is uh, fantastic. You can find Michael C. Dewitt Jr. on various socials: Seton Tucker, Matt Harris, and uh, we will talk soon, friend.